Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm your co-host, Gianna Whitber. And Maria Velasquez here. And we are so excited to have an amazing guest on this week's podcast. We have Nimi Reichenberg, the former CMO at Simplify and the current head of security operations marketing at Google Cloud. And he is going to tell us everything he knows <laughs> about cybersecurity marketing and go through the journey of growing Simplify into where it was until it was very recently acquired by Google Cloud. We're so excited to have you, Nimi. Pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. So there's obviously 1 million topics that we could go into with you uh, because you've been a CMO multiple times over. You've been in cybersecurity marketing for a while. First question, how did you get into this space in the first place? I wish I could tell you there was like a brilliant plan of getting into both marketing and cybersecurity, but that's not the case. So I'm actually started off as, as a software developer. My, my undergraduate degrees in, in software engineering, which isn't so bad when you're doing cybersecurity marketing and speaking to technical folks. I always make sure to, to mention that. I realized early that like software engineering was not my, my true passion uh, and uh, kind of stumbled then into product management and from there marketing, kind of like that very traditional stepping stone. And... At some point, I think it was my, uh, even my first marketing role kind of stumbled into a product that wasn't pure cybersecurity, but touched on the space. I got my first exposure to the space. And then my, I guess my second head of marketing role was with a cybersecurity company. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the space and got my experience. And, and from that point, I mean, cybersecurity is such a great space. I think it was a shame not to use my, my industry experience to just kind of stay in this industry. Interesting story for another day, but the one time that I tried to leave the space and I landed a CMO role with a non-cybersecurity company, uh, it lasted all of six weeks. I had nothing to do with the industry, but it lasted all of six weeks and I found myself back in this great industry. <laughs> I, had a, I had a short stunt like that just most recently, which lasted 18 months, and it's so good to be back to cyber. <laughs> Obviously, you have this great experience. What led you specifically to Simplify? Like what attracted you to that company in, in that position? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And also since, you know, Simplify, when I was kind of on the market again, after my previous company was acquired as well, you know, it was my fourth CMO gig and I was fortunate enough to have choices, right? So it's also, it's a really pertinent question that I, I had a couple of offers to choose from. And I think, I think at any stage of your career, when you're making a choice, you have to ask yourself, what are you optimizing for, right? I think when you're, Earlier in your career, definitely optimized for like good mentorship and opportunities for growth, et cetera. At, at that point in my career, really, I was optimizing for two things. One is a successful outcome, right? I mean, again, at that level, you already have a lot of equity. A successful outcome can be meaningful. So I, I really wanted a company that's going to, uh, that I believe was going to succeed. And the second thing, which I think you should always optimize for, is having fun, right? Like join a company with a great culture and not having to suffer like horrible culture and stuff like that, right? That, that I think is true probably at every stage of your career. So once I validated that Simplify is like, you know, nice, great people that are, you know, will enjoy working with, 
So really there were three things that, that took the favor towards Simplify. And I'll even tell you, like I had other offers with more money, right? So it wasn't like I wasn't optimizing necessarily for, for, for comp or anything like that. So number one was the space, right? And I'm a big believer that if you're the number one company in a space that never takes off, yeah, it's going to be very hard to succeed. And there, you know, there are spaces like that in, in, in cybersecurity. I was a huge believer in this source space, security automation, orchestration, and, and response. And I just wanted to get into that space because, and, and by the way, this space had multiple very successful outcomes, right? We had two of our big competitors, and we'll touch on that when we talk about Simplify, but we're acquired throughout this journey or, you know, had very successful exits. So even though we weren't the number one or number two company that got acquired, we still had a successful outcome. So again, if you're in a hot space, you know, let's say like EDR, a lot of room for multiple great companies, right? So number one was the space. Number two was the founders. And again, you know, when you're trying to start up, you know, you want to look at the founders and you want to say, this is a team that's going to win no matter what, right? And I think that's true to this. And like, you know, losing was not an option, no matter, you know, what adversity is going to get thrown at us. And that's always the case in, in startups. We're going to overcome it and win. And I, and I got that feeling from the founders and that, that was very important. And the third thing, selfishly, from a, from a marketer's perspective, the product was very cool and visual, right? And I think as cybersecurity marketers, all too often, like, it's hard to market a, a product that, well, you didn't see anything, but under the hood, RML, just stop the, you know, stop this malware. And yeah. no, like this space, the product was uh, beautifully done, great UI, you could visualize what the product was doing. And I was like, oh, I want to market this product, right? As opposed to, you know, sometimes I went on the other side of the fence where the product had great tech, but it didn't look nice. It's hard to visualize and explain. So something about this product, and I wanted to market. You know, At the end of the day, you have to prove that your product helps your users. You know, you, nobody can get budget for a thing that does nothing or that is perceived to do nothing. I can't, I can't help but make the pun that the sore space soared, basically. <laughs> That's yeah. all I could think of the entire time. The exception of a few sore losers. We can oh. these hands all day long. I've been doing that for, for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So what was, you know, you, you, you vetted the founders, you vetted the market, you see, oh, sore is going to take off or it's already growing. It's exciting. What was marketing like at Simplify when you first joined? Like, what did you see right away that needed to change? Like, what were the first things you did? What was like the beginning like? Right. So marketing in one word was non-existent, right? Even though so I was really the first marketing hire. And this was a company that had 35 employees and had a few customers and had some revenue. And I think, you know, Simplify was kind of the traditional tech-oriented first-time founders that invest in marketing probably. And they, they will admit that, I think, as well, later than you should have because, hey, we're techies. Let's just build great tech and it'll sell itself, right? Because it's the best tech out there. And then you realize, no, right? Like people actually have to know about this tech and just great tech doesn't sell, sell itself. So not only was marketing non-existent, we also had two of our main competitors with, you know, very seasoned founders invested in marketing early. So, you know, there were the two that like, we weren't the number one, number two, maybe not even number three name that came to mind when you thought about the sore category, even though we had a great product, right? So marketing was was non-existent. So where do you start, right? So there, there's a couple of things. There is some things that I think are just best practice, not just understanding, you know, why we win, why we lose. What's our like, have a have a hard, honest conversation about why we win, why we lose. Where's our differentiators? Where do we play? Kind of you know, kind of like the the one on one 
strategic stuff, but then also you have to kind of roll up your sleeves and get stuff done. It was everything from like, we didn't have a marketing automation system. We didn't have any content. We didn't have like, was, there was nothing. So I started off with, with two great hires and each of them has to be, first of all, you know, resourceful, gritty, and, and multidisciplinary, right? So if you really think about it, my, my first two hires, one of them stayed the distance even and now, now works for Google. One was left brain, one was right brain, right? So one did analytics, website, marketing automation, processes, you know, digital, all that stuff. The other was like content, communications, messaging, brand, and that's it, right? Just, I think when you just start up, you just, have, you just have to have people that are able to wear multiple hats, have the grit and determination to just get a lot of stuff done. And, and, and that's where we started really kind of, we, we started with most things, right? Like, oh, you can't wait to two years to put in a marketing automation system. You can't wait two years oh, yes. to, you know, write a blog. So oh, yes. just started executing everything. That's hilarious. It'd be so funny if someone waited two years to write a blog. Like, <laughs> Where do you start? There's, there's, you know, there was very little, right? There was very little. And again, you know, there was some sort of website somebody developed and somebody drew a logo on a napkin and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but not a lot more than that, right? So we, we kind of had to build everything from scratch, which which I have done a few times already. So, you know, something that I think I, I knew how to do, how to, you know, kind of create a marketing function from scratch. And that's what we went ahead and did. And we were two people, I'm trying to remember, at least for the first six months, maybe even nine months, right, before we, we grew the team. What have you learned should be your most first few critical hires on a marketing team starting from scratch? So, like I said, if you, if you only have two, divided left brain, right brain, right? I think because, you know, you, you, and you need the content, thought leadership, brand, et cetera. And then you need the analytics, you know, dimension, planning, website, et cetera. I think those, those are the first two. As we grew, of course, then, then right brain becomes product marketing and content and communication, right? And left brain becomes growth and dimension and marketing operations. And you just kind of split those functions. But a lot of, I mean, you, you, you have to do most things even when you're just starting out. So of course you don't do it at the level of, as when you have more people, but really just again, build on these two and just start branching it out and adding more people to, to each function as, as you grow. Yeah, thanks for adding that. When I think about early stage hires and people who do things as opposed to think about things, but you know, those on your marketing team who are, whether they're like right brain or left brain, they're operators is what I call them. You know, they're doers, they get stuff done, they're chugging along forward. How did you vet these first two hires at Simplify? Yeah, I mean, the fewer people you have, the more you have to vet them and the cost of making a mistake is huge, right? So so you're saying those people are doers, but they're they're thinker doers, right? Because who's going to chart the strategy, right? I mean, so mm -hmm. they, they have to, and, and again, they're both director level hires, right? People that both of them have managed teams. And the idea was as we grow, they, they build teams, right? Under that. So those are extremely difficult people to hire because, again, on the one hand, it has to be somebody strategic that can own things, right? But then also not afraid to roll up their sleeves and, and do pretty much all the work until you get to the size where they're going to start hiring people themselves. So one person I worked with in the past, that's probably the best, right? People that know you, trust you, you know that you can get along, you work well together. The other was just a, a great hire. But yeah, you, you and, and, and it takes very special person to say, okay, I'm going to come into this, you know, it's a risk reward. When I come into this new organization, there's going to be a ton of work. I'm going to be the one that's going to draft the strategy, but then also implement the strategy and, and get everything done. But again, people that, and, and I'd never take a chance on somebody that hasn't thrived in that type of role, right? So 
no matter how painful it is, you just search until you find those people. Again, you know, uh, any anybody who's hired a lot of people would lie to you. Everybody says, oh, never compromise. I only want A-plus players. You know, then reality sits in. Anybody's hired enough people. You know, yes, sometimes you just go for that B or B-plus player, and that's okay. But the first two hires, I think, is truly where you just can't compromise. And also, thankfully, this was uh, when we hired. It was over four years ago now. The market wasn't easy, but it wasn't as, as tough as it is now. So that, that didn't hurt either. Oh my God, the market right now is crazy. <laughs> you just said one of the biggest mistakes you could make are early stages, hiring someone who's not a good fit, who's not that thinker doer. When you're growing a company, when you're hiring a team, building a team, being the first marketing leader who's building the marketing organization from the ground up and trying things and experimenting things and clawing your way out of fourth place soar to like, you know, higher level, higher consideration soar. What did you do? And also, I want to hear, what are some of the mistakes you made too? Because that's always very interesting. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the mistakes a little bit. One thing uh, that we had to do, even though I'm usually not a fan of the CMO that comes in and says, oh, we need to rebrand, right? Oh, we need a new logo, <laughs> et cetera. We didn't need to rebrand and simplify. We needed to brand, right? There was never, it wasn't like an existing brand to, to, to build on. I'm not even talking oh. about the, the visual stuff. Like I said, somebody drew a logo on a napkin. That's fine. I'm not even, when I talk about brand, you know, to me, the whole visual component is secondary. It's like, hey, who are we? What do we stand for, et cetera? So when I joined, we were around a startups and we felt, okay, we need, it's not a rebrand. We need to brand the company. Nobody's ever thought of these things because there was no, no real marketers up until that point. Um, I talked with a few agencies and, you know, there were the like really good ones, which are expensive and the not so good ones that are not that expensive. And as a round a startup, I made the mistake of not writing the check to the, you know, to the good expensive branding agency. And we went with a branding agency that was not as good, it's not as expensive, but we felt like, okay, right, this is something that, you know, we can afford as a round A startup. And I think on and that, that ended up being a mistake because that project didn't go well. And, you know, then we had to fix things mid-stride and, and, and all those things. And, like, you know, things that are foundational to the extent that you can do it, do it properly, right? I think that was kind of like um, mistake number one. And also keep in mind that going back four years, the rounds weren't as big as, as they are now, right? Now, Series A startups can raise so much money that it, becomes a, a non-issue going with an expensive branding agency, but that wasn't the case four years ago. But I would still argue, you know, write, write the biggest check that you can write. It wasn't like we couldn't write that big check. It just felt like, oh, so many things to get done. We're round A. We don't have a ton of money. Should we do it? And, and the answer is yes, we should have done it. So that's, you know, invest as much as you can in, in the foundations. And I think and then the second mistake I think is, and this is a not just marketing, but strategy in general. I think we fell in love with our concept of what SOAR is when the market was telling us different things, right? And said, oh, no, you got this all wrong instead of Mr. Customer. Instead of focusing on A, you should focus on B. And I think we should have had, and, and we, we pivoted in time and, you know, it's a happy ending to this story as we all know. But I think in hindsight, we could have done this earlier and you know, listen more intently to the customers what we're saying. But listen, you know, all the customers say A. And we're advocating for B. Maybe we just, you know, give customers what they want, right? And uh, so I think that was like a. And then of course, all these product messaging, right? Kind of across the board. But I think that was another one that I say in hindsight probably should have been different. What was the process for you know uncovering that you should be saying A and you were saying B? Like, how did the convert? How long did it take you guys to fix it to pivot? And like, what was the sort of like the spark that? brought that really into focus and made you think, hey, we need to kind of change the way we're messaging and change 
even some product side things. Losing deals? <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> you do a couple of loss analysis. Is it okay? But, but we have this great thing over here, yet the customer went with a competitive product as this. How can they not figure that out, right? And then that happens enough times. I wish we could say like, no, we got ahead of things, et cetera. But it's often the case right after quite a few lost deal analysis. Okay, uh, I, I see. This is a gap. The customer gets on the call and says, hey, listen, if you guys, I agree. That I, I, I love that you have all this great stuff here, but like this is foundational stuff. And if you don't have this, I'm going to go with a competitor. So it happens enough times you realize that uh, you need to change that. Yeah, it makes sense. The direction for that brand evolution comes from customer feedback. Yeah, and I think also, you know, as as like as, as tech, you say, oh, I have this amazing technology, and you you, you want to focus on the sizzle and not the steak. And sometimes people just, you know, people just want a good steak, and you want to sell the sizzle because you know maybe that's the differentiation, and have to listen to your customers with an open mind. Thanks, Nimi, for inspiring today's dinner. I think I'm going to make steak. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna think you're gonna say that you're both vegan, and I've, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I've put my put my mouth there again. Portobello steak is good. <laughs> and now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're gonna want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at hackervalley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Thanks. Why don't we jump into another really, really important aspect of the foundations, like you said, that sales and marketing alignment and establishing that relationship and bond very early on. What are some of the things that you've done at Simplify for sales and marketing alignment? I think sales and marketing alignment is a topic that is dear to my heart for various reasons. One of them is I think it is probably the single most important factor that determines a CMO and a marketing team's success, right? Um, I think a lot of times when CMOs have short tenors and, you know, whatever, there's a lot, it, it really kind of, you analyze it, okay, there was no, no marketing sales alignment because at the end of the day, in most organizations, and I, and I don't think that's a bad thing, sales speaks louder than, than, than marketing. So when things aren't going well, it could easily say, well, our marketing department isn't delivering and, and, and that doesn't end well. So there's a couple of things, and I, I can talk about this all day long, but I'll really try to, because it, it's such a, a, a subject that I'm, that I'm passionate about, but I'll be brief. So number one is aligning of goals. And by aligning of goals, what's the, what, what is sales always measured on? Very easy. Revenue, right? So marketing was measured on as, as not the only goal, but the, but the number one goal and the one that had the most weight, revenue. Not pipeline, not MQLs, not website traffic, et cetera. So we really put ourselves in the same boat and we were hitting our goals when revenue, when we closed revenue. And that can raise a lot of objections with marketing teams. What? But we can create pipeline. We don't control whether, you know, that pipeline is converted by sales and all of that. But I have a lot of like, you know, kind of pre-canned response to that. But at the end of the day, if you want to be aligned with sales, get, you know, be measured on, on, on the same thing. I think that's, that's number one. Number two, personally also as, as a CMO, and, and I can definitely accept the fact that doesn't come natural to every CMO and that's okay, but I always try to walk a mile in sales' shoes. So when mm. we were 
um, you know, really starting out and you know we didn't have a lot of salespeople. I actually worked some of the deals myself. There's like Fortune 500 accounts that I personally work and won. And when we were bigger and and you know we had enough sales coverage, et cetera, I always like stayed as an executive sponsor in a lot of deals because I really wanted to you know, eat our own dog, walk a mile in salesperson's shoes. And I think it's just a different level of, of, of credibility when you do that, right? So you know, at a high level, that's always aligned with sales. It's always, you know, we don't win unless they win. And I said, you never want to be the, the marketer that, you know, um, or the CMO that in a board meeting said, hey, we had an amazing quarter. We crushed our MQL goal. We, you know, generated 200% of pipeline. Amazing, right? And then, you know, conversation turns to the uh, head of sales and, well, how did your quarter go? No, it was a terrible quarter, right? We only hit 50% of the number, et cetera. So, you know, that's kind of textbook misalignment there that you never want to, we never want to be in that position. I love that. Yeah. Aligning on the KPIs, definitely a, an important step. What about the process itself? What about aligning on the lead management and the handover and the definitions and expectations of sales team once they're handed over a lead that's warm and ready to talk? What are some things that you, you've implemented? I mean, we've heard SLAs, we've heard cross-team training and, and, and things like that for, you know, the best use of the technology available. But what are some things that you've also done? Right. So first of all, I think I agree with everything that, that you just said, right? I think all of that needs to happen. But I will say, and by the way, it also really dependent on who owns the uh, the BDR team or SDR team, right? Oh, yes. I think it's, it's, it's different. And funny enough, uh, some of the time uh, when I started out at Simplify, marketing owned the, the SDR team and then it transitioned to sales. And I don't have a philosophy there. It, it can work in either way. But one thing that I will say just about aligning goals is um, kind of you know the more top of funnel discussions you have, the more that is indica- that is kind of uh, indicative of a problem, right? Like if, if sales meet the revenue goal, nobody cares, you know, what the SLA on like you know lead lead transition is, right? If and then if you create so you know if you go one level below revenue into pipeline, there's enough pipeline of like reps, you know, I have enough pipeline. Nobody cares that if you're like, you know, dealing with the show, well, well, is this a good lead? Is this a bad lead? That is already means that you that you're not doing well in the most important metrics, right? Which is like revenue and, and, and pipeline, right? I will say yes, so I'll definitely have to agree on what a good lead is. You know, if you own by the way, when, when we owned the the SDR team during that period, we never uttered the word MQL, right? Because why do you care? We we generate leads, we have the SDR team, our our job is to generate qualified meetings that turns into pipeline and, and opportunity, right? So we, we never uttered the word MQL. And I mean, we kind of internally, we, we, we knew how we're doing, but that was never a metric we reported on. When the SDR team does not sit with marketing, then I think MQLs are a little more important because you want to mm. be able to know, hey, well, how many qualified leads am I uh, handing over to that SDR team so they can do their thing? So I don't think I invented anything kind of uh, any silver bullet at Simplify. You know, it's, it can tell you that SLAs were always mad and, and you know, this kind of worked in perfect harmony. But in reality, it's it's a grind. You have to have all these meetings and follow-ups, et cetera, and, and develop the relationship that when things slip, right, you're able to fix that in an amicable way. But again, it all goes back to the, to the, hey, we're in the same boat. Here's what we need to deliver. And hey, we're not meeting revenue and pipeline. Let's look further back, you know, into the funnel and see, okay, oh, these leads, let's see what's going on. But I, I've not, like I said, I've not come up with a, with a magic solution. It's a, it's a, it's a constant effort to, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like getting salespeople to update, to, to update Salesforce, right? I mean, <laughs> and then, you know, you just have to be prepared for the fact that it's, you know, it's a constant effort to, to get things where they need to be. 
<laughs> I love that you made that joke. <laughs> and sadly, it isn't funny in many instances, right? Uh, oh, but again, I think, I think uh, after doing this for enough years, you, you kind of have to come to terms with it. But, but why? I mean, here's, we sent them an email, we asked them to, and it didn't have the, at some point said, okay, I'm not going to change the, you know, the nature of the beast. I'm going to have to learn how to work well with it, right? So uh, I think those are things that come with Absolutely. Right? For me personally, that was such a light bulb moment when you said that, if there is enough good pipeline and we're closing deals, nobody really cares about the lead flow and and and, and everything in that process, right? From A to Z, because we're doing well and right. uh, there's no need. I, I never thought about it that way before. That's amazing. Right. And don't get me wrong. It's not like we, you know, hit our number every quarter, you know, for right. the whatever 17 quarters or so that I was at, at Simplify. Of course, there were good quarters and, and bad quarters, but again, I think it all goes back to shared metrics, you know, shared responsibility, open communication, things that are that are definitely common knowledge. I wouldn't say they're always common practice, but, you know, it's. Uh, I think everybody knows in theory what they need to do and then just doing it in practice requires effort. Yeah, I love that. What about the fun stuff? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be just sales and marketing. What are some team building things that you've done that made a big difference in the, not only the culture, but the bond between the teams? Um, and if some of them were remote and it created better synergies? Yeah, so obviously, you know, two out of those four years were were, were, were COVID moments. And I'm trying to think. So, but yeah, so it, it wasn't easy, like from a, a team building perspective. I will say that it really starts with the people. So we just had great hires and great people. I mean, you bring great people together. It's so easy. You don't necessarily need to come up with, you know, gimmicks and, and, and whatever online cooking classes and <laughs> stuff like that to, to get a good team. And when that isn't working, then, you know, probably all the cooking classes, you know, virtual cooking classes in the world is not going to save about. We try to get, we got, we try to get the team uh, together as much as possible. And even by the way, pre-COVID, we weren't all in one location, right? So there's still, you know, people in different locations. It was a fairly distributed team pre-COVID. Try to get everybody together. Even when COVID had these like laws, well, some numbers were down, right? We took that opportunity and, and got the <laughs> team together in one place. Again, I don't know that we necessarily cracked the code and, and did things that others uh, didn't in terms of, of, of team building, but I think genuinely just had great people that cared about each other, that had each mm -hmm. other's backs all mm -hmm. the time, which again, I think it, it really starts with, we can get the right people, the dynamics kind of take care of themselves. And Interestingly, you know, when we when we got acquired by by Google and, and kind of okay, laid like how is marketing integration what it, uh, is going to work? Everybody, the number one thing that they asked was, oh, am I still going to be working with this person? Am I still going to be working with that person? And to me, it was really kind of a testament of how well the team kind of works together and and genuinely cares for each other and, and likes each other. Love that. It re it really does start from the heart. It's so true. So on that topic of of acquisition and you know being acquired by Google. I mean, that's a big deal. It made the headlines. We all saw the press release. It was very timely. Obviously, an acquisition doesn't happen overnight. How did it feel when the ink had dried? What was it like for you, you know, being the CMO of this company that got acquired by Google? How did you feel? Yeah, so of course it feels amazing. And also as a CMO, you kind of involve relatively early in the process. So when there's, you know, there's just talks and, you know, a lot of things happen before, like I said, before the, the, the ink dries, but at least communicating to the team was awesome. And I'll, I'll tell you something funny when, you know, a lot of times when people, again, you, know, you hire people and the market's tough, et cetera. And one of the things that I always said to to new hires, and I, and I firmly believed it every step of the way, which still 
could have gone differently, but I, at least I believed it, is that I said, hey, this company, I have no doubt in my mind that this company is going to be successful. It's going to have a good outcome. You know, I, don't know, I didn't know the time was an acquisition or IPO or, or, or whatnot. I have no doubt in my mind this company is going to have a successful outcome. This successful outcome, you know, when a company succeeds, everybody basks in the glory, right? And I and even always gave Google as an example. I said, hey, if you hear about someone that they, they work for Google, automatically, right, they kind of bask in the glory of the Google brand, irrespective of, you know, that individual person. They may be the most brilliant person on the planet. They may not be. But kind of that brand reflects on it. So I even used that in, in conversations, of course, at the time, not knowing that that we would become part of Google. So I think obviously I'm thrilled at you know the personal level, at a company level. But if you look at like the, the marketing team, I think that the fact that every person on that team can now say, hey, I was part of a marketing team of a company that was acquired by Google. And especially for people who are earlier stages of their career, that is like, you know, will will forever part of their personal brand. And I'm I'm so happy you know, for the team, because, you know, it's, it's startup life. It's, 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 you know, you put in the blood, sweat and tears and, and to be able to get rewarded in such a way is, is very gratifying. Obviously, You just said a line that I just want to ask about. You said, you know, for all these new hires, you were hiring, you were saying, Hey, this is going to be a success. Like, I know this is going to be a success. This, I, you know, the way you explained it, I, I took it as like in my bones, I know that simplify is going to be successful. Did you feel that way the whole four years? And like, why did you feel that way in particular? So absolutely. And not that it was smooth sailing during those four years, right? It's again, there's, there's ups and downs and, and, and tough moments for sure. But it's funny because, you know, we talked about the three reasons that I joined Simplify, the market, the product and the founders. And I, and, and I found myself giving that speech multiple times during those four years. And it, it, was, it was as true each day of those four years that it was when I was telling myself that story of, you know, and deciding what, what to join. So, so I think, you know, the market was only getting hotter, right? There was more acquisition, et cetera. And, and true that with every competitor that's acquired, that's like one less potential acquirer for your company, but, you know, it's still a big market and, 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 I, and I still, you know, believed in the market and in Simplify being an attractive company for whatever outcome. It didn't have to be an acquisition, but whatever outcome. Um, and again, just, uh, you know, the founding spirit and the product all just got better. So yeah, again, in the highs and in the lows, I, I, I never stopped believing. And personally, again, I think if I ever stopped believing, I'd probably not be part of the company, right? Again, I think life's too short for me, at least, to work for a company that you don't believe is going to be successful, right? So... Awesome philosophy. So, okay. So, you know, we went kind of through, you know, your story, starting at Simplify, growing the team, some challenges, Rocky Rose, but still believing this whole time that Simplify would be a success, which it was. So you're very prophetic. What does the future look like for you, Nimi? We started by saying, you asked me how I got into market, say, well, there wasn't really any great plan behind this. So honestly, right now I'm taking it one day at a time because, you know, Google is obviously very different than, than what my roles were like in the uh, previous you know, few years working mainly at startups. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's an amazing company in, in so many ways. So I'm really right now just, just focusing on the new role um, at Google and kind of soaking in proverbial drinking through the fire hose. It's, it's, it's you know, never run true, I think, when you join a company like Google. So right now I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the new role. I'm enjoying Google. I think also... Personally, I felt like I needed a change. So I don't know if there was like a, you know, I did four startups in a row. I don't know if I would have just jumped to a fifth startup straight away. I'm enjoying things and, and really kind of taking it one day at a time. I can tell you I have this great, like, you know, 10-year plan in mind, but but I really don't. 10-year plans are overrated. <laughs> Soak it all in. It's, it's going to be a, an amazing and exciting time for you personally. 
So we talked about some of the mistakes made at Simplify um, and also potential mistakes that you could make. But what, besides being acquired, which is, of course, a big accomplishment, what were some of your big accomplishments when you were there? Right. So I think the, the, the biggest accomplishment is probably easy. That is a, a, a virtual, I want to say event, but really a virtual movement that we started called Sock Stock, right? I see some, I see some, yeah, I see some reactions. So not at the beginning, but like, it was, I don't know, about seven, eight months into the pandemic, thought, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, we've been to a couple of virtual events, most of them underwhelmed, to, to be honest. And we set out to create- To be a- honest, they suck, is what, is what it is. We set out our motto, let's create a virtual event that doesn't suck, right? That was really it. And then, you know, the brilliant team at Simplify came up with this creative called Sock Stock, which is kind of like Woodstock for the stock for the security operations center, which was our target market. And I think the, the couple of, first of all, I think the event and really hats off to the team was brilliantly executed just from the creative and the speakers and the experience. I really think it was an experience as far as cybersecurity virtual events go, went, was an experience like no other. We got unbelievable feedback on the event and, you know, the attendance and the numbers and the pipeline was also through the roof. Uh, when people asked where the merch store is because they wanted, they were willing to pay for sock stock uh, merchandise. That's when you know, okay, we've done, you know, we've done something right here. So, so I think sock stock was really, really stuck on that chords of like community. Let's all, let's all get together in these, you know, in these times. And this was like early COVID, where I think people were really longing for that. So that was an amazing um, campaign. We ran it again a year later. People were like, oh, we got to do another sock stock, right? So I think that was one thing. The other thing, maybe not as flamboyant as as, as sock stock, but I just think that one of the things we did well is pivot our marketing strategy based on where the product lifecycle was. So when we just started, when I started Simplify, Soar was a brand new category. We needed to do a lot of evangelism, explain what it is, you know, why do you need it, et cetera. And then about two, two and a half years in, first of all, some acquisitions, right? Palo Alto acquired a competitor. They had an offering. Splunk had an offering. IBM had an offering. So you had all these big companies with, with, uh, with a lot of money doing the evangelizing. And we said, no, we don't really need to explain um, what SOAR is and why and why you need it. What we really need to do is kind of insert ourselves into the consideration set, even though we're a small vendor and we're not one of the industry gorillas, and make a strong case for why simplify. And we always had confidence in our product. We said, no, if we're getting the seat at the table, the product's great, you know, we're gonna we're gonna win enough deals. And we really pivoted our strategy into being super searchable no matter where you looked. You just, and if you were researching the source space, you'd find Simplify, right? To the extent that I think to this day, if you Google SOAR Magic Quadrant, which is, you know, very high intent uh, search, the number one result is Simplify. The number two result is Gartner, right? So, uh, wow, that's amazing. That's how much emphasis we put there. Let's get found no matter who's looking for SOAR, they're going to find Simplify. We go to our website, we put a lot of focus on showcasing customers and credibility and say, wow. I may not have heard of this company, but wow, look at all these customers, look at all these great reviews. And then we also, because the product was so great, we had a community, a free community edition, we had video tours, so we were wanted to get found, considered, and getting the product in people's hands. And when we pivoted to this strategy, I think, you know, kind of BAM was was open. We started really started getting a, a lot of leads and again let the product speak for itself and win more than we lose because of the great product. So that of course translates to a lot of different things that we did, but just this shifting of the strategy, understanding, listen. People, you know, you don't need to do that much education and evangelism. It's really about, hey, 
you're looking at SOAR, you have a budget, great. Here's where you should take a look at Simplify and really focus, you know, of course, make sure people find you, consider you, understand why you're different. And I think that yielded great results for us as well. This is a, an exciting, fun question that we like to ask at the end of each podcast. What would you be doing if you weren't in cybersecurity marketing? And I think it needs to be outside of software engineering as well. Okay, if I can uh, like not let reality set in, uh, I've got a lot of hot. Uh, I was I was good enough at them. I'd love to make a, a career out of them. So I I was a competitive uh, uh, tennis player. Ooh. Not, not good enough to make the pros, but if I if I was good enough and be a professional tennis player, that would have been a fun life. And then I also I'm also a musician. So again, if I was like good enough to be a uh, uh, or not good enough, I take the plunge to actually give you know the music industry, which is so tough, a try. Yeah, I would have I would have loved doing that as well. If I do try to keep things a little more down to earth, what I do if, uh, you know, maybe in a, in a different life and a kind of different circumstances is, is be it. I, I think I have a knack for explaining things. I love working with kids. So not, maybe not a preschool teacher, but like, you know, middle school around that, that age. Uh, I think I'd get a, a kick out of that. And by the way, some thoughts for, you know, down the road, right? Maybe get into something like more in education. I think that I definitely enjoy it and think I'm pretty good at it. That's awesome. I hear you on the preschool thing. I have a toddler. I get it. <laughs> I can't say that I missed the, the Disney on Ice and Paw Patrol, uh, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nimi. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I hope our listeners and followers enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah. So, Nimi, where can people find you if you're open to people finding you? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, would you believe I'm on LinkedIn? Uh, that's probably the best really? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's probably the best platform. Not too active on Instagram. Uh, it's cool <laughs> to be active on TikTok and various other platforms. Uh, LinkedIn is your best bet. And Reichenberg at LinkedIn. Thank you, Nimi, for joining us and being a guest on the show. We've loved having this conversation. It's been really fun. We'll have to have you back in the future to talk about more marketing topics and to talk about marketing at Google because that's really cool too. So everyone listening, please subscribe and also rate and review this podcast. And when you're subscribed to the podcast, you'll be able to see every episode coming up uh, when it launches every Wednesday. If you want to be on this podcast, send a note to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com. See you next Wednesday. Thanks everyone.